You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Thank you, David. If you all have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. If you have been around for any period of time here at Redeemer, you're probably not going to be surprised uh, with that. My name is Jason Hatch. I'm the lead and the teaching pastor here at Redeemer. Uh, we planted the, the church at our first public service the end of January of 2016. And since then, every year we start out the same. We start out with a reminder about who we are and what exactly we're trying to do here, uh, what we're trying to accomplish through this thing that Jesus has put together called a church. And I don't think uh, I'm probably ever going to stop that. I think I'm probably going to be reminding us uh, and myself of the same things every year over and over and over because sometimes we tend to forget. I think uh, reminders are a very, very important thing. And really, that's a lot of the job of a preacher sometimes It's not to give us new information, uh, but to remind us of something that we all know, but we constantly need reminding of. So uh, we're starting out 2022 uh, talking about what does it mean that we are a gospel-centered, missional family. If you're new, you're like, wow, these people are getting indoctrinated. Uh, I hope so. That's the goal is to just beat this drum and shout it from the rooftops long enough till it's a part of who we are, that we are a gospel-centered missional family. That's what we're trying to do in Midland. And uh, if you think about that, that, that statement, there's three components that are involved in that. Um, the gospel, that we are centered around the gospel. We need to uh, have a good understanding of what that means. Uh, that means we're a grace people. We love grace. That means we're mercy people. We love mercy. That means we love truth. Um, that means we love Jesus, and we talk about those things a lot. Um, so gospel is a cog in that wheel, or really a kind of a gear in that motor. That um, We're gospel-centered, but we're missional, uh, that we believe every church and every Christian should be living their lives on purpose uh, for the mission that Jesus gave us, and he was very explicit with us about the mission he has uh, for the planet, for the church, and for Christians uh, to make disciples of Jesus all across the globe for the glory of God. So we've got gospel, we've got mission, and we're gospel-centered missional family. And at the center of family really is just this high value of relationships, um, that we want to be a family, not just uh, an organization, uh, not just a meeting where you can come sit uh, shoulder to shoulder with strangers and listen to a sermon, uh, but truly a family. And so those three things, community, gospel, and mission, when all three of those gears are turning, then we have a much healthier church and we're able to do what we're here to do which is to bring glory to God. And so the better we are at community and at gospel and mission, um, the more glory we bring to Jesus and the more help we're going to be for our community, for our neighbors, for the people that we know and love. If you love Jesus and love people, the best thing you can do is express that through being a gospel-centered, missional family. So that's where we're going uh, in this series that we're calling What If. Um, Honestly, this is me dreaming uh, just a little bit. So over the next few weeks, we're going to, going to look at a lot of different texts in the Bible um, that uh, present to us options, some commands, some just invitations, and some descriptions of people in the past. And I'm just, I'm, I'm dreaming, I'm praying. We're going to look through these different texts and just ask the question, like, what if? 
what if we were to take God very seriously with the way that we respond to these certain things? Uh, what if we don't? What if we don't do this? What would happen in our marriages and our families and communities? Uh, what if we took God at his word and responded? And all the ways that we're going to look at that over these next few weeks uh, as we ask the question, what if, and we look at some different things, uh, they're all geared to help us be a healthier, gospel-centered, missional family. Um, Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 42, go through verse 47, that's six verses, and I was, I was looking back at my notes yesterday, and I think I can say with pretty much certainty that this is, I've preached this text more than any other text by far. Uh, because this little snapshot of the early church, the first church in Jerusalem, has, has probably captured my attention and perplexed me. Um, and I'm fascinated by it. I'm mesmerized, mesmerized by it, uh, probably more than any other story. Because it's really it's hard to deny, even for a non-Christian, it's just simply hard to deny that the Jesus movement, that this global movement for 2,000 years of Jesus followers has changed the world unlike any movement, not even close. Uh, what has happened because of what Jesus started has, has taken over the world, has moved from Jesus and 12 of his buddies out in the sticks to two, over 2 billion people that worship Jesus. Uh, most of the hospitals on the planet that historically have taken care of sick people, uh, you find out that they've been started by Christians. Most of the uh, orphanages that look after kids and orphans and uh, foster system, a lot of that historically has been driven by um, Christians. Um, a lot of women's rights globally to show that they are, in fact, equal, has been driven by this underlying movement of Christianity. Most of the places where slavery was alive and well has been pushed out because, because of uh, this movement of Jesus' followers. So it's, it's really hard to honestly look back at history and not be absolutely overwhelmed by how this Jesus movement has changed and still to this day is changing the world. Does that mean we haven't made mistakes? Absolutely not. You can look back in church history and we've made plenty of mistakes, uh, made plenty of missteps. But you can't deny that what started in Jerusalem with 12 people and then eventually would be 120 people uh, when Jesus ascends and begins his work to send his church out as a family on a mission with the gospel, it's overturned the world. It, it outlasted the Roman Empire, and it's made, it's made its way all the way to you and to I. And so the reason that this text is so fascinating to me is because it's a picture of just a handful of people and how they responded to Jesus. And honestly, when it started with 120 people, it's much less than is in this room right now, and yet here we are talking about them. Could you imagine if a fraction of us in this room were so devoted to something and, and a powerful something that 2,000 years from now, everybody in every corner of the globe was reading and talking about what took place in Midland, Texas 2,000 years ago? And yet that's the picture of we have in Acts chapter 2, these people that were so committed to this, uh, this man that had risen from the dead and were so devoted to each other that we have a picture of, of, of their response. Okay, now let me set it up this way. Um, the Bible really has two different types of, 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 of literature in, in one sense. Um, there are things that are prescriptive and things that are descriptive. If you go to the doctor and they say, 
you have COVID, and then they prescribe to you a medicine. Or if you go and you have a cold, they prescribe to you. They say, here, take this. This is your prescription. So there's a lot of things in the Bible that are prescriptive. It just tells us what to do. Love your neighbor, okay? It's just a command. It's what we've been prescribed to do. Uh, Be generous. uh, Flee sexual immorality. Love your neighbor. Like all all these things that are prescribed to us very clearly, um, there's a lot of the Bible that has to do with that. But then you've got just descriptive. It just describes what happened. It doesn't necessarily say, go do this. It's just describing something, and you need to know that it's not always a positive thing. Everything that's descriptive in the Bible is not always prescriptive. It's just describing. Some of it's not good. I was uh, in the truck with my oldest son and our dog yesterday uh, taking Cedar for a walk, and uh, for some reason Noah came up, and so my 11-year-old and I were talking about Noah, and Judah had not heard the story uh, of when Noah got drunk and passed out naked in his tent. Uh, If you read about that in the Bible, that is, which one? This is very important. (laughs) That's descriptive. It's just describing what happened. It's not saying, now you go out there and therefore you do likewise. Some of you are like, yeah, been there, tried that. It was a college. It didn't go well, right? It's descriptive, and a lot of the history books, both Old and New Testament, are descriptive. They just describe what happened. And what's so powerful about Acts is what we're reading, and mainly the book of Acts is descriptive. It's the biography of the church, of of the first, the gospel-centered missional family. It describes what they did, but especially with the text we're looking at today in Acts chapter 2, it's so powerful because the descriptive nature of it had to do with a group of people that were following the prescription of Jesus. They were so convinced in who Jesus was, what his mission was, to go and love God and to love people and make disciples of all nations, that they took that prescription incredibly seriously and they put it into action and they did it. And what we have is the description of what happened after that. So uh, if you're in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, help me out a little bit and say, ready? This is a description from uh, Dr. Luke, who was uh, not only a physician, but uh, even to this day, Christians and non-Christians would agree that Luke is one of the uh, most accurate, greatest historians uh, in antiquity. And so he goes out to, to do some research and to interview eyewitnesses and put together a description or a biography of the Jesus movement after Jesus rose from the dead. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their biography and description of Jesus. And then Acts picks up where the Gospels leave off, and this is the picture of the first church. I'll give you just a little bit of backdrop because it starts out in verse 42 by saying, and they, and uh, it's really hard sometimes to just drop in the middle of a text and find a pronoun um, because if you're new to the Bible, which many of you are, uh, maybe you don't know who they are. Um, So they are about 3,000 people that were living in and around Jerusalem that heard Peter preach, and Peter said, Jesus is the Messiah that we've been looking for. He is the Son of God. We murdered him on a cross. You need to repent of your sins, confess your sins. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. He'll wipe all the sin away, and he will make you a new person, put you on mission for him. And so when he preaches that, 3,000 people say, I believe that. I witnessed it, I saw Jesus die, I saw Jesus rise, I'm in. And they are immediately baptized. 
Just a small note, baptism is incredibly important. If you're following Jesus, you need to be baptized. So these 3,000 people, they believe and they respond to the gospel, and then they are baptized, and then they show up for day one, and this is like church 1.0. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and this is day one for that church really living out and fulfilling the purpose and the calling that Jesus has for them. So that's the they, 3,000 brand new Christians. Some of them probably had memorized books of the Bible. Some of them no doubt had never read a word of it. Uh, Some of them were rich, some of them were poor, some of them were friends already, some of them were enemies, and yet all of a sudden they're all in this same faith family, and this is how they responded as as truly a gospel-centered missional family. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this, describing the church. And they, this brand new megachurch, thousands of people, Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to four, to four things, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking bread and prayers. That's how they responded. They devoted themselves to those four things. And Luke says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, all the Christians that had faith in Jesus, all who believed, they were together And they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings, and they distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's nothing prescriptive in that text. It just describes what happened with the church. I want to back up and work our way through that and show you really seven different things as we're just trying to describe what happened with this movement that would take over the world. First thing that happened, number one, is they devoted. They were, they were devoted people. And that's a pretty strong word for a historian to use because he was looking at this, this movement and these people and interviewing witnesses and looking at the, the results of their, their lives and their devotion. He's trying to explain what happened. He's like, they were, they were a devoted people. You know, that word means they, were, they persisted, they were committed to some things, and they did not give up. No doubt they would have had opportunity to give up and be uh, disheartened and disenfranchised by this church and the imperfect people that were all brought together. But he says they were devoted. They were 100% heart-given, full-hearted towards those four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. If you try to put yourself in the shoes of any of those 3,000 people, you would wonder, surely there must have been some things that came up in their lives um, that would have challenged them to persist, right, to, to be devoted. I'm, I'm sure there were things in their lives, in their schedules. There were days when they were tired. There was money to be made. There were sports camps to go to in Jerusalem. I'm sure there was a lot of things that were taking place, but Luke looks and he's like, like this is what marked them. They were devoted, and that's number one. Devoted, strong language for the way that they were responding to God, his word, his people. Second thing is, and I pull this out every year, it says that they devoted themselves. 
Right? If you're an English major or remember any of that, that's a, that's a reflexive verb. It means it, it was not something that was done to them from the outside or from someone else. It was something that there, there was such a change inside of them that they devoted themselves. Uh, their, their neighbors didn't devote them. Their community group leaders didn't devote them. Their pastors didn't devote them. Their leaders didn't devote them. This, this kind of devotion for God, his word, and his people came from inside of them. They devoted themselves. And I know that you know this as well as I do, that you just, you can't devote someone else to something, right? How many of you, you just wish you could? Like, I wish I could devote my spouse to our marriage a little bit more. I wish I could devote uh, my, my kids to, to their homework a little bit more. I wish I could devote my community group to our, our group more. I wish I, you know, it's, we always have this desire to devote other people to things, but something this powerful has to come from within, and Luke noticed that this devotion came from inside. Something inside of these Christians had changed so dramatically that they decided in their own heart, to devote themselves, to give themselves fully to something. That's number two. Number three, they were devoted to four things. One we're going to look at today. Uh, we could tease all three of those out for a long time. Um, but the fact that it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. It's kind of a weak word in English. Uh, I joke about this all the time. That You hear the word fellowship. We think of an event, Right? Or actually, most of us think of a casserole. Like, it's, there's a glass dish, it's 9 by 13, there's cheese on top, boom, we got fellowship, right? There's a fellowship hall where the event happens, where the event takes place. And so I don't think the word fellowship is a, is a very helpful word. It's surely not what they were devoted to. They weren't devoted to, like, you could insert potluck. It's not like, oh, then the early church, they were devoted to potlucks. Uh, there's probably a lot of potluck going on. But that's not what this word is. Uh, this word is actually koinonia, which we get our word community from, which actually is talking about people. Everybody say people. To be devoted to the, it says the fellowship. So they, internally something had changed so deeply that they gave themselves, they devoted themselves to not the idea of fellowship, not the gathering, not the casserole, but to a very specific group of people that's what it's talking about. And every Next Steps class, we're having one tonight, every, every one for almost 75 classes now for seven, six years, uh, we've talked about this because uh, I love to bring up some of the things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote on. Uh, how many of y'all have ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? I always like, want to give like a one-sentence description of him, and then seven minutes later, I'm like, oh, gosh, running out of time. Uh, let's do that again. So Bonhoeffer, uh, unbelievable man. He was a pastor and a theologian and a writer uh, in Germany, and he was uh, gaining traction with this a church movement in Germany at the same time that Hitler was, and he wrote a book called Life Together um, that's one of the most profound uh, Christian works on, on, on community, on, on what does it mean to actually be devoted to the fellowship. And he said something in there that I'll remind you of probably every January until Jesus comes back. He said, and I, and I think this is, this is why the word fellowship is so dangerous for us, because when we hear that, we're like kind of devoted to something different than the early church was devoted to. So Bonhoeffer says, normally the people that ruin the Christian community the quickest are the ones who are in love with the idea of community more than the actual people. Like we love like the idea of fellowship and maybe the events, but it's the actual people that are imperfect and that sin against us. Like 
and, and, and yet that's precisely what Luke is talking about. They weren't devoted to the idea of anything. They didn't have any presuppositions of what this church thing would look like. They just knew they were devoted to Bob, right? I don't know if there was a Bob in Jerusalem, but like there were actual people that they were devoted to. They weren't devoted to the idea of church. It's just here for me that it's a very dangerous thing where we live in the context and the culture that we live in. Uh, to It's so easy to be in love with the idea of church, but then people drive you crazy. <laughs> it's like, no, that, that's what the word means. They were devoted to the fellowship, the koinonia, the community, the actual people. And I would, I would add this, and we'll look at this a little more in depth in a moment, but th- they, were, they were devoted to not the potential for what these people could become, but right where they were at in that very moment, they were devoted to them and all of their mess, all of their insufficiencies, all of their sin, all of their problems. That's number three. Number four, their devotion that you find out included their possessions. They were so devoted, it changed their their bank accounts. They were actually selling their things, and it's like they showed up with this devotion to community with the question of what they could give, not what they could get, which is very different than the consumeristic culture that we live in. We have been trained on every level and a lot of times when we come to church to think about things as a consumer, we show up for church, okay, what can I get if they don't get what I want, if they don't, get, if they don't give what I need, uh, I'm out of here because I need to go find somewhere I can get. Their mindset towards their possessions especially was just, it was very different than the culture that we live in. So they, they showed up and they were so devoted that it actually changed their net worth. Some of them sold property. No doubt some of them gave, you know, small things away and uh, they made meals and from, from very expensive to very cheap, they were all, their devotion to God's people was tied up with their possessions. And we, we know that this always communicates real love because uh, if we really love something, then we're going to be willing to pay some kind of price for it. And what's interesting to me about this text is that some of them were willing to just sacrifice a lot of personal wealth and property. And so the question is not like talking about the cost. It's really looking in like, boy, they saw some value. Like they saw some value in the Christian community that they were willing to invest in it. That's number four. Number five, their devotion to community was displayed largely through small groups in homes with food, and it says breaking bread, so you could really just say carbs, right? How many of you, for your New Year's resolution, this is what you said, like, just more carbs. <laughs> I just want to be like God's people. I've been doing this for thousands of years. It says that they were devoted to gathering daily in the temple and to breaking bread in each other's homes, right? And breaking bread isn't always just breaking bread. That's a term for uh, having meals together. But um, they were devoted, it's, they were devoted to, to the whole community, the whole church, but that was still 3,000 people. That was still a mega church. Day one of Jesus' church, mega church. So it's really hard to be devoted to that many. So what you see is they were, they were devoted to the whole church, but that expressed itself through small groups, meeting in homes, having meals, and having relationships together, and voila, now you know why we do community groups. Like I still, every year, have people ask me, did y'all come up with this community group model? I'm like, (laughs) this is the oldest model in the book, and yet that's how their devotion fleshed itself out was through being devoted to small groups of people in homes during the week and included meals 
and carbs. Praise God. Number six, their devotion to community seemed to affect their hearts and their attitudes. So they were, they, were, they were given to the community and devoted to that, but it had a positive effect on them. And it uses two words to describe. It says uh, that when they were devoted to these things, that they, and they, they shared meals together and they did it with glad and with generous hearts. And so this is, like, this is descriptive, so I don't know that there's a, a for, for, for fact, that there's a cause and effect relationship, but I believe that there is. I believe the more given you are to people and devoted you are to people, it has some pretty positive impacts on your own heart. And I know there's plenty of studies that prove the opposite, that if we're isolated and lonely, it has some very detrimental effects to our soul. But it says that they were glad and they were generous. And I love this verse so much. My wife loves this verse so much. that This one is put on the wall in our, uh, in our kitchen, uh, between our kitchen and our dining room, where we host our community group every Wednesday night. And I look at it and I'm reminded, like, this, this is good for the soul to be devoted to a people. And what it did, it gave them a glad and a generous heart. Glad means extremely joyful or shining. Like they were devoted to the, the fellowship and so much so that it kind of made them shine. Like they were, they were extremely happy. And, you know, you've got to take a little bit of creative license sometimes to try to think about, especially a descriptive text like this. Like who, who were these people? What were their jobs? What was their life situation? No doubt most of them were very poor and had plenty of problems, plenty of financial struggle, plenty of relationship stress. And so there's probably a lot of just things that you and I could could feel and could understand, and yet as they sat down and they enjoyed the, the graces of God and talked about Jesus and shared these things together, it's like they, they, were, they were shining. They had this, this it, was, it, it was visible enough that Luke picked up on it, that the Christians were so devoted, they were glad. They were extremely joyful, they were shining, and it says they were generous, with glad and generous hearts. If you're ever in a community like that, and some of you have been, You've been in a community that was absolutely given to Jesus, that was given to sacrificing for one another, and true love, not just in word, but in deed. And there's something about that generosity that tends to be contagious. If you're around generous people that are willing to sacrifice, almost all the time you will become more generous and sacrificial because it's incredibly difficult to be around generosity and that not affect you. And so this action that these people had became culture. It became the culture of the church. And if you believe in a generous, sacrificial God, and we do because we believe that God didn't spare his most valuable thing, Jesus, for us, that that, that's the most generous, sacrificial act that has ever taken place, that that has changed us, and we should be a culture of, of gladness and generosity, and that's how it describes them. And number seven, just looking at this, trying to describe what happened in Jerusalem, their devotion to community, really to those four things, especially community, it changed the people and the community around them. If you go back and look, you find out that it says that they had favor with everyone. The political leaders, they, they, they grew in favor. Their, their enemies, their, their friends, their in-laws, their, their, their neighbors, their co-workers. The church of Jesus, because Jesus said this, he said, they will know that you're my disciples by your what? By your what? Love for one another. 
and they're nailing it, like they're, they're doing so well, loving each other, and all of the community is beginning to realize that they are actually serious about following Jesus. And it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And you follow that and you see that some spark happened, something happened in Jerusalem with this movement that it would grow from 3,000 to 10,000 in just a few chapters and then it would spill out of Jerusalem and all of a sudden within a few decades you've got churches all over the Roman Empire. A few decades more you've got it seeping into Europe then it jumps the ocean and it just, like this movement is spreading across the globe and you trace it back to these handful of people that were serious And so here's my questions. We've kind of looked at that description. The questions that I want to ask are what if questions. Okay, number one, uh, what if those 120 people had not devoted themselves to those things, had not devoted themselves to community? What would Luke have written? (laughs) Would he have written something like, and then there was a massive loneliness epidemic in Jerusalem? Or would he have written, and then everybody had problems, but nobody had family to take care of them? Would he have written, and then this Jesus movement was snuffed out as quickly as it began because it didn't have any familial, relational community teeth? Like, what would have happened if they hadn't been devoted to the apostles' teaching, the people, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer? Second what-if question. And uh, I'm going to do this every week and just kind of try to bring it in personally for each one of us in the way that we are devoted to community or to people, to the church. What if, and I, I promise you that I will not deliver to you any what if questions I haven't asked of myself. So here's the question. What if everybody at Redeemer Church was as devoted to the community as you are? Would that be a good thing or would that be a bad thing? For some people, like you're just, you're in, and if I could like pick a handful of you and just kind of clone your devotion to the church and everybody in the church was as devoted, I mean, there would not be a shred of need or loneliness in our church. So the question for you is like, if, if you write yourself into the story, what if everyone was, is devoted as you? And then I want to tease this one out for just a few minutes and then I'll be done. What if we as a church in Midland, Texas, were as devoted to community as the church in Acts was. What would happen? This is why you need to maybe let yourself run with some, um, some, 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 some thinking, some creativity. Like what honestly could happen? Because what happened with them changed planet Earth. What if we were that devoted to each other? What if we devoted or we committed ourselves to each other? What would that mean for you? And what would that mean for the people around you? If everyone was just absolutely fully committed on this thing, devoted, like as as devoted as we are to sports, as devoted we are to getting kids to soccer practice, as devoted as we are uh, to making money, all those things are good things. I'm not saying they're bad things. I'm just saying what if we were as devoted to God's people as we are to other things? What would happen? Like you would never have a moment in your life where you carried a struggle alone because there would be 10 people that are so devoted to you, they show up. Nobody would be lacking. Nobody would have any need. Nobody would walk through any difficulty by themselves. What would happen? What if we were as devoted to community as they were? Second thing, what if we were devoted to the actual people and not to the idea of community? How would that change your life? 
How would that change your walk through life as a Christian? And what that means is that there's always somebody so devoted to you right where you're at that they wouldn't kind of internally just kind of hold, hold some things in hoping that you'll mature a little bit more. And I, that's what I want. You know, if I'm honest, I just want you to kind of love me right where I'm at, not for the potential version I might become. Like what would it mean if people just, they, they, you weren't afraid to be honest with people because you knew you would be loved and accepted and embraced right where you're at with all of your mess, with all of your struggle, with all of your sin, and now you're, you have a safe and open place uh, to be that because you know they're devoted to you, not to this idea of what you could become. What if? What if our devotion included our possessions, which for many of you it does, honestly, but what if our devotion was not separated with the possessions that we have and, and our devotion was instead tied to them and that's how we displayed uh, our devotion and love for other people? All right, talk is cheap. Saying one thing is one thing, but showing it through our possessions is another. I mean, John talks about this a lot. The Apostle John, he talks about us not loving in word or thought, but in deed and, and truth. What if our, our, our devotion to each other included our possessions? What if we were devoted to community groups, to gathering in homes, and to having carbs together? Like, What would that look like weekly for you to have a group of people that you met with often, weekly, where you talked about Jesus, you talked about your struggles, you had actual deep community, nobody was alone on this journey? What would that look like for you? What would that look like for your neighborhood? What would that look like for your kids to be devoted to? meeting in a house with a meal with brothers and sisters on the same journey. What if, as we do these things, it actually made us more glad and more generous? Like what if after a few weeks, a few months of being devoted to God's people, you start to realize, you know what, I'm actually less angry. <laughs> my, my kids are noticing a better version of me. I, I'm, I'm more glad because God's people, and this is the psalmist in Proverbs, they talk about this, how, how good is it to dwell among God's people and to be among the brethren. It's just a good thing. What if it changed our countenance, made us more generous? What if you had someone, and I, the reason I want to push this every year is because uh, this, this epidemic of loneliness is still getting worse in the United States. Uh, the average American, if you ask them, uh, how many close friends do you have that you can be totally honest with, the average answer in the United States is zero, and that's not good. It means I don't have anybody that I know well enough or trust well enough or I'm friends with well enough that I can be open and honest and get some encouragement on my journey. So what if? What if you had someone that you could be open with when you sinned and you broke your vows again? What if you had someone that, that, that loved you enough? What if you had someone that loved you enough to tell you when you're stupid? Like, that's very important. <laughs> like, we need somebody close enough not just to encourage us, but to tell us, hey, you're being an idiot. If you don't have a person that can call you an idiot, you need a few. I got a few that are, they don't, I don't even ask for it. <laughs> like, just some good community. What would your life look like if you had that? Because most Americans don't. And last thing, what if... We were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which for us is the Word of God. You know, we took the apostles' teaching, we put it in a book, it's the New Testament, basically. What if we were so devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the actual people, the koinonia, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, 
so much so that it changed our community, and I pose this question every year. What if we were as devoted as the early church to community, so much so that people were getting saved every day? That's what happened. That's what happened in Jerusalem. It's a compelling thing when Christians love each other. And when that love is demonstrated through, through sacrifice, it is a compelling thing to your friends, to your family, to the people on your street that know you're a Christian, and, and then they see this uh, working it out in your lives and your relationships. It's an incredibly compelling thing, and I believe it's one of the most powerful tools that we have in the post-Christian uh, culture that we live in to share the gospel. It's not just with word, although it's always with word to explain what the gospel is and what Jesus has done and how we should respond, but it's demonstrated through this community that we were designed to have. That Every human being has this desire somewhere inside of them for the community that they've never seen, like a community where they actually loved and, and cherished and encouraged where they're at. Everybody longs for it. The church should be the shining example, like this is what you've been looking for, and you can only have it through the gospel. You can't have a community of that type of encouragement and honesty and openness without the work of the gospel in your hearts, which brings me to my last thought and my closing. Why on earth did the church act this way? Did they just, did they just decide, you know what, we're going to be a devoted people, a giving people, a sacrificial people, a generous people, a glad people? I think the answer is, is it's just very simply that they were only able to love each other that way because they were convinced they had been loved that way. Like they were so convinced that Jesus, that, that, that God through Jesus Christ had loved them unconditionally, had broken bread with them, enjoyed time with them, was not just in love with the future version, but right where they were at in that moment. It was, they were so convinced of the love of Christ that they were able to reciprocate that because it's hard to give uh, what you have never received, right? Especially when you're talking about love for others, patience with others, forgiveness with others, there, there, there's really no reason for us to act that way towards others unless someone has first acted that way towards us. So the, even this community, this idea of being devoted to each other flows from the very gospel of what Jesus has done for us. So this is the question that I want to just drop in your laps and leave to simmer for a few days. What if we were we labored to devote ourselves to each other in the same way that the church in Acts chapter 2 did. What would change? What could God do? What would happen in your life, your neighbor's life, your friend's life, the life of someone down the street that's not a Christian? What if? Let me pray for us. I want to invite you where you're at to bow your head, to close your eyes, and let's pray together. Father, I love this picture. I love this text. I love the story. I love what you did through just very, very ordinary people, God, that were so devoted to you and they were so devoted to the early church and to each other and to relationships, God, that you turned the globe upside down. You changed the world through their actions and through the Spirit in them. And Father, I just, as we ask this question and just pose what if, I just pray that you would help us to believe that your Spirit can do the same thing today that you did then. God, that you would use us to sweep through our town, that there would be nobody that struggles with isolation and loneliness. God, that there wouldn't be anybody in our church that's discouraged and walking through difficult seasons by themselves. 
God, that there would be nobody that withholds the truth about them or where they're at because they're scared they may not be loved or accepted. I just pray that you'd help us to be devoted. God, your spirit inside of us, give us the grace and the ability to devote ourselves to your people, not just the idea of the church, but the people that you've given us here at Redeemer Church. Father, I pray that you'd use us as a witness and a testimony in our city. God, I pray in 2022 that a lot of people would become Christians, would follow you, would give their lives uh, to following Jesus because of what they've seen in our lives and our community. Jesus, we pray that you would do that for your great name and for your glory among this city of Midland that we love. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.